Welcome to episode number five of the Brand Quest podcast. I'm John Lee. And I'm Allison Fortune. And today we're going to talk to you about spectacle, the fight business, and creating a character, specifically the dangers of creating a character that you start living the life of and <laughs> end up killing the golden goose, which is the vein and lens through which we will view the rise and fall and possible rise again of Conor McGregor. Start out with who is Conor McGregor? Conor McGregor is a UFC fighter and 0-1 boxer and one of the biggest stars in the combat sports world. He has four of the five top-selling UFC pay-per-views. He did a crossover fight with Floyd Mayweather a few years back that made about $300, $400 million in total revenue. He ended up making about $30 million just from that fight, and that was after splitting 50-50 with the UFC. He's been on the cover of magazines. He's got a whiskey brand, Proper 12, which is a sponsor of the UFC in an interesting cross-promotion. He also has a clothing line, August McGregor. Mm -hmm. He has a website and diet plan called the Mac Life and Mac Fast, respectively. And he's been one of the biggest stars of the combat world in the last 10 or 15 years. And so one thing to understand about the combat sports world is that it's the fight business, not the fight sport for a reason. The reason that it's the fight business is that money makes decisions in the fight game more than skill. It's not exactly a sport, especially MMA. MMA is really a hybrid of wrestling, WWE style characters like Conor McGregor and your average wrestle boxer fighter who grew up in a college wrestling program and is actually a really good fighter, but is painful to listen to. So it's a mix of both sports and entertainment. The first thing to understand is that it's the fight business, not the fight sport. Yes. Selling is a big part of success in any combat sports, whether it's boxing, MMA, kickboxing, wrestling, like the WWE, which is sports entertainment, but still kind of fits in the same model and, and works on these character-based successes. And the reason that it works like this is because while most people aren't combat sports fans, I happen to be a big combat sports fan, but most people aren't, they still will watch a fight if it's a spectacle. Yeah, that's how you got me into it. Yes, and what is a spectacle? A spectacle is an event or performance that commands attention. Attention is increasingly scarce. We live in an attention economy. There's a great book called The Attention Merchants by Tim Wu that I've mentioned a few times that talks about how attention is the new currency in the digital marketplace and especially online. Pay attention, influencers, because this bit is for you. Another reason that spectacle works is that it builds anticipation, and anticipation is almost always better than the actual event. I'm sure you, the listener, can think of a time you looked forward to a holiday, a birthday, a trip, only for it to be so-so and not live up to your expectations. I actually, as a personal thing, like to have trips or things coming up just so I can get the anticipation. Even if it's not going to be that fun, I like to just have the anticipation of something coming up to feel good about. It's the same thing that works with online shopping, right? You order something online and then you get the anticipation of it getting there. It's really important. And anticipation is really a big part of delayed gratification, right? As you delay your gratification, that's one of the keys to a happier life. So this, this spectacle fits into the idea that we want to delay our gratification as much as possible to be as happy as possible. And also fits into the marshmallow test, right? If you've ever heard of the marshmallow test oh, yeah. in psychology, where they offered a kid a marshmallow that they could eat right away, or if they could wait 15 minutes, they would get two. And most people ended up failing, 
But the idea that if you can wait, it's actually more pleasurable is a psychologically proven reason why spectacle draws as a sport. The third reason that spectacle works is the unknown. People want to know what's going to happen. Way back to the first quote, MMA fight in 1976, Muhammad Ali, then the heavyweight champion of the world, traveled to Japan to fight Antonio Inoki, who was a wrestler and shoot fighter. Shoot fighting being the precursor to MMA where wrestlers who would have scripted matches would sometimes have these shoot fights where they actually fought for real. It was often called Pancrase, uh, then King of the Ring, eventually formed into MMA and the sport that's now known as, as mixed martial arts. But the first one of those mixed matches was Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki. This guy, Josh Gross, who's an MMA reporter, wrote a whole book called Ali versus Inoki on the spectacle beyond that. It drew something like 100,000 people to the Tokyo Dome. It was a giant, giant thing. Can Hoist Gracie win the UFC tournament? When the initial UFC tournament started in 1993 in Denver, Hoist Gracie was the brother of the Gracies. So it was started by the Gracie clan who invented Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. They didn't technically invent it, but let's just say they did for the sake of making an easy to follow argument. They staged the UFC to do a marketing test for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And they had one brother, Hickson, who was quote unquote 300 and no. But the problem with Hickson was that Hickson was this six foot two, 225 pound beefcake guy who looked like a really good fighter. So if he went in and just smashed everyone, it didn't make Gracie Jiu-Jitsu look very powerful. But they had this other brother, Hoyce, who was 170 pounds soaking wet, but was super good at jujitsu. So instead of entering Hickson, who was kind of the family champion who would go around beating up the other people in Japan and fighting rival groups in Luda Livre matches, they sent Hoist because if Hoist won, it would show that the smaller, weaker fighter could beat these bigger fighters if he knew Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Turns out that was a good gambit and that launched the UFC and Gracie jiu-jitsu in the United States. But they did that on purpose because if they just sent Hickson, it would have been obvious that Hickson was going to beat everyone and it wouldn't have looked as impressive. Other things for spectacle, can you really make 50K in six months? You've probably mm -hmm. seen marketing like that. Yep. Can you lose 30 pounds in 10 days? People want to see if these big claims can happen. People want to say that they were there. When Wilt Chamberlain, the famous basketball player, scored 100 points in a game in 1967, the recorded attendance was 9,600 some people. You can look it up. But Wilt always used to say that he had probably met 100,000 people in his life who claimed they had been there the night he scored 100 points. Because spectacle makes you want to tune in. It makes you want to be there. It's must-see TV. And that is the driving force behind the fight business, much more so than actual fighting skill. So before we can even examine the rise and fall and possible rise again of Conor McGregor, you have to understand that spectacle and character is what sells all the way back to the turn of the century when Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champion, fought Jim Jeffries, who he had to chase around the entire world to fight. That was the first fight of the century. And since then, we've had dozens of fights of the century from Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier to Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather, which is the highest selling fight of all time, which sold four and a half million pay-per-views back in, I believe, 2016, 17, somewhere around there, when they were both much older and not in their prime. But spectacle sells, and that's the first thing you have to understand when examining the fight business. And it's important to remember that because Connor started in this fight business, spectacle is bred into him as part of all of his businesses. So it's part of Proper 12 Whiskey, it's part of his clothing line, it's part of his diet and exercise websites. It's in every brand that he represents, which is kind of a lot, spectacle is always a major thing. So let's get into the Connor McGregor story. 
Connor's story starts in a bad neighborhood in Ireland. Connor was not one of the kind of tough kids. Crumlin is the center for the Kinahan cartel, which is one of Ireland's worst gangs and has ties to a lot of bad stuff and a lot of boxers and MMA fighters as well. But Connor was not one of those guys initially. Connor was just kind of a good kid. And Connor's origin story, where the, the story of Connor McGregor begins, when he has a crush on this guy's girlfriend and the guy rounds up 10 of his friends to beat him up. This is the impetus for Connor to then get involved in martial arts and eventually MMA boxing. After this fight, his sister gave him the book The Secret and he watched the movie associated with it, which will come back into play later, but he became a big proponent of Law of Attraction from the time he was a teenager or younger. Yep. So we're not really sure if this origin story ever actually happened. No one's confirmed or denied it, but an origin story is really important for character. And this is the beginning of Connor McGregor, the character. Conor Anthony McGregor is a person, the notorious Conor McGregor is a character, and we want to kind of keep those separate as we examine both of them, because they're both going to have different personalities, and while they will merge towards the end of this story, for the beginning, we weren't really sure that the notorious existed. In the beginning, it's just Conor, this lower-class kid who gets inspired to become a martial artist and is working as a plumber. Origin stories are important because they allow your brand to explain how it started and where it got your superpowers from. You've probably heard people talk about your superpower as a marketer or as a brand. Well, an origin story, which comes from the world of comic books, allows you to explain how you got those powers and how it started. Every brand needs an origin story. If you listen to episode two, you know the famous Uber origin story where Travis and Garrett are trying to get a cab in Paris on a freezing cold night. You've probably heard Google's origin story starting in a garage in Palo Alto. And even Facebook's origin story with Mark Zuckerberg at Harvard has been committed to the silver screen because it's so legendary. And it's not unusual for combat sports stars to have origin stories. For example, Muhammad Ali has a very famous origin story where he left his bike outside in Louisville, Kentucky when he was five or six. Someone stole his bike and he ended up going down to the police club and signing up to box because he wanted to fight the person who stole his bike. So if you haven't done this already, Take a few minutes now to pause this podcast and think about what your brand or your origin story as a marketer is. So Connor begins to train and he ends up also becoming an apprentice plumber on welfare. So he's training. He eventually meets this guy, Tom Egan, who was the first Irish man to fight in the UFC. Probably have never heard of him. He's somewhat of a journeyman fighter, but he is the first Irish fighter to end up in the UFC. So this makes him an instant celebrity in any of these fight gyms, and Connor attaches himself to Tom Egan, who will eventually introduce him to John Kavanaugh, who is a bit of a martial arts philosopher, a bit of a charlatan, and as most MMA coaches, he really only is as successful as his most famous pupil, who is Connor McGregor. Connor McGregor makes his amateur debut in 2007. By 2008, he makes his professional debut under the tutelage of John Kavanaugh. From there, he wins his first two professional fights before losing by knee bar. This is one of the first early weaknesses or knocks on Conor McGregor is his grappling. Historically, fighters from the United Kingdom have had worse wrestling and grappling because it's not taught in their schools. There's no college wrestling programs. So famously, early English, Irish fighters were known to be stand-up, boxer, kickboxer type dudes, but not have a lot of good wrestling. And this is the early knock on Conor McGregor as well. 
Then Connor goes on a six-year, 15-fight win streak. From 2010, when he loses to Joseph Duffy, until 2016, he will not lose a fight, including capturing both the Cage Warriors 145-pound featherweight title, the Cage Warriors 155-pound lightweight title, going 6-0 in the UFC, capturing the interim UFC title with a win over Chad Mendes, and then, in a moment that he predicted for months, knocking out all-time great Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is probably, at worst, the fourth best MMA fighter of all time on the first punch. And Connor went on this protracted media campaign where he talked a lot of shit to Jose and riled him up. And Jose gets a little angry, and you can see Jose charge in. And then Connor, who's a counter-striker, meaning he wants you to come at him so he can react and, and attack off of your attack, Knocks him out in 13 seconds, the fastest knockout in UFC championship history, which brings us to 2016. Before we get to 2016, we should talk about the fact that Conor McGregor manifested this. Yes. Famously. He was using Law of Attraction, and he quite literally decided to manifest this reality where he knocks out Jose Aldo in his first punch. And it wasn't the first prediction that he made. McGregor creates this character, Mystic Mac. And he starts to predict his fights, much like Muhammad Ali did, much like many fighters have done in the past. It's kind of a hit or miss thing, but he notably gets the Chad Mendes fight and the Jose Aldo fight exactly right, and the Dustin Poirier fight. So all of those fights he predicted that he was going to knock them out in the first or second round, and all of those fights he knocks them out in the first or second round, often with the first really big punch that lands. Connor also is not shy about talking about how he's using the secret and how he's very into self-improvement at this point of his journey. At this point, Connor's a little more humble still. It really starts to accelerate once he beats Jose Aldo at UFC 194 in 2016, and things start to go off the rails as well as he starts to build a massive personal brand. Because while the 15 fights in a row, eight of which were by knockout, I believe, is impressive, that doesn't always sell. There are tons of guys. Right now, there's a guy named Leon Edwards in the UFC who is on a seven-fight win streak with four or five finishes, and he's nowhere near getting a title shot. In fact, he didn't even get a fight the whole last year, and he's going to have to fight an unranked guy in his next fight. So it's not very usual that within six fights you're in a championship fight. It's not very usual that, like, in your third fight, as what happened with Connor, they build an entire event in Ireland around you. Sinead O'Connor sings when Connor comes out to fight Chad Mendez in a live performance, which they've never done before in the UFC. So Connor very early on is getting special treatment because besides being a great fighter, Connor sells. Sells a lot. And selling is a real, real big part of this. And besides selling, Connor brands himself. Connor starts out with a bunch of different brands. First, he has this MacLife website. And the MacLife website is basically Working on the BJ Penn model, BJ Penn was an early MMA champion who created BJPenn.com, which is kind of a news aggregator site for MMA. Then Connor launches this Fast Life program, which is a 30-day fitness program based on being in really good peak physical condition. Ironic, since Connor's gas tank, not the best thing. Connor also really digs in with the nationalism and Ireland. And this is a proven model in fighting from the fictional world of Rocky IV, where it's Russia versus America, and Rocky ends the Cold War by beating Ivan Drago. Lennox Lewis, boxing champion who takes over after Mike Tyson, famously had the UK and opened up the UK boxing market for people like Anthony Joshua, one of the current boxing champions. And Connor had Ireland. And Connor really had Ireland. Oh yes, all of it. <laughs> Connor's fans are an interesting thing because they're very mimicky. 
they basically dress like him. Connor started to wear these flashy suits and kind of do a Ric Flair the wrestler thing. Almost a limousine fly-in, jet ride-in, wheel-in, deal-in, kiss-steal-in type character with the hair. He grows his hair into a longer style. He starts wearing these really, really expensive suits, nice watches, talking about his alligator shoes, his Gucci belt, his this, that, or the other. That's one of the first people he starts to mimic is Ric Flair, who was a wrestler, not an actual fighter. In addition to this, Conor's fans will now start to dress in the same way. If you went to a Conor McGregor fight from 2014 till now, you would see hundreds if not thousands of Irish people who flew in from Ireland or all around the world to Las Vegas usually, or wherever Conor was fighting, who dressed like Conor, who sang songs about Conor, who basically wanted to tell you that Conor invented mixed martial arts and fighting in general. And that's because Connor got buy-in from these Irish people because of his aspirational nature and because he made it very clear that he was Irish, famously saying, we came not to take part, we came to take over after his win in Ireland against Diego Brandau. This is the height of aspirational marketing. He's really nailing it with how he talks about money and how he makes it so clear that, you know, all of this belongs to me. He said something like, I used to fight billionaires, now I am a billionaire. He just really embodies this aspirational marketing for all of Ireland because he came from this very blue collar place and he always, since he worked his way up, even though it was his third fight that he got really. I've always said I'm not a Conor McGregor hater, I'm a Conor McGregor truther because the truth is that the UFC made it easier for Conor, but he also won the fights he needed to win. I didn't think he was gonna win the Chad Mendes fight, I didn't think he was gonna win the Jose Aldo fight. He got a real easy matchup in the Mark Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight title. I blame RDA and his manager, but that's another story. But there is a mix of both hype and actual talent here. Conor McGregor is a very talented fighter. At this point, I can tell you he is a top five lightweight in the world, but he's not the greatest of all time. He's not the greatest in his weight class of all time. He's probably not even a top 10 to 15 fighter of all time, but he is the best-selling, most popular UFC fighter of all time. And as Conor is coming up in Cage Warriors, he changes from Conor McGregor to the notorious Conor McGregor. And from this kind of local boy made good, I used to be an apprentice plumber, I was on welfare character, to the showman who likes to boast big, talk about his gambling problem, his shopping habit, his tailored suits. And this switch to character actually makes him bigger. Yeah. Rather than people going, you've changed, you're different, this actually fuels the rise of Conor McGregor. And as he gets more outrageous and more boastful, he gets bigger and bigger. Eventually it will come back to bite him, but we're not there yet. But I do want to take the time right now to talk about characters and marketing, because this is when the character of Conor McGregor takes over. At this point, Conor Anthony McGregor, the person, is no longer really in control. At this point, he's now successful enough, rich enough, famous enough, that he's really fully becomes this notorious character. A character can be defined as a set of human attributes and characteristics associated with a brand that give it a unique personality and recognition in the market and in the minds of consumers. What is the Conor McGregor character? Originally, hardworking Irish boy makes good who's bringing the entire nation with him, opening up doors, kicking doors down to bring his people to the top of the fighting world. Eventually, this turns him into the superstar, the notorious Conor McGregor, who is, as I said earlier, a jet flying, limousine riding, copycat of previous fighters like Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, Ric Flair, little bit of Joe Frazier thrown in there. And 
this is when the copycat vibes start to start. He even starts to wear clothes that were famously emblematic of other people. He wears the notorious B.I.G.'s famous Coogee sweater. He wears Joe Frazier's famous mink coat. And this is where he's now locked into this new character, but it hasn't fully formed yet. Right now, the only way that he knows to be the superstar is to copy previous combat sports superstars, but he hasn't really etched this out for himself. Which is how he's using the proven model and he's testing and optimizing as he goes. Now this might seem weird in terms of developing a character, but this is what really gets him to lock in on what his audience wants and entrench his fans because he starts to figure out the polarity and who to point fingers at and really how to rile his fans up the most. And listen to how deep this goes. I want you all to Google Conor McGregor copies male model because Conor McGregor's tattoos, the male bun hairstyle that he had, all comes from this German or somewhat male model. He literally looked for guys who had quote unquote cool avatars and cool tattoos and then copies them almost exactly. It's kind of scary to look at this guy and then look at what Conor turns his physical avatar into, his physical look, because he copies this male model almost to the exact tattoo. Additionally, he does the Mystic Mac thing, which Muhammad Ali famously would predict his fights in rhymes. He also takes an underwater photo. There's a very famous photo of Muhammad Ali shadow boxing underwater. Conor McGregor recreates this photo. He's not the only fighter to recreate this. A magazine made John Jones recreate this in like 2013 or something. So it's kind of, again, a tried and true model. He wears the mink coat like Joe Frazier. And Eventually, he'll find his own model kind of peaking with the lead up to the Floyd Mayweather fight and the famous fuck you suit, where he wears a pinstripe suit where the pinstripes are made up of the word fuck you. The lesson to take away here is that if you don't have a good character, model one that works with your audience. Connor wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. He was trying to go back to other superstar fighters who made a lot of money and were quote unquote prize fighters, right? What makes a prize fighter? The prize, the money they fight for. That's another thing that Floyd Mayweather really did as well. Floyd Mayweather, for the first 20 fights of his career, was pretty boy Floyd. And while he was a spectacular fighter, notching up a bunch of wins, he also was breaking his hands a lot and not making a lot of money. So in 2001, Floyd Mayweather rebrands himself with the help of supervillain 50 Cent, who we have a whole episode coming up on. Coming up. And he does these HBO specials where he rebrands himself as Money Mayweather. Conor McGregor will rebrand himself as Money McGregor in another feat of very creative branding. <laughs> the point is you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can find models and characters that already work with your audience and then adapt those to who you are as a person rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. We see this in a lot of other brands too or a lot of other, other industries. Beauty gurus do this, influencers do this all the time. The rise of the travel influencer really saw this. We kind of see it in, in every major industry as it goes on. A lot of digital marketers do this. A lot, yes. So, As we mentioned before, a lot of coaches are doing a Tony Robbins impression. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that occurs a lot. Yeah, and if you want inseparable, imitate Tony Robbins for a few days. What makes up a character? I'm going to just give you a short list of things to work on. First, your avatar, both your look and your personality. What are the characteristics? If you look at Howard Stern has a really good avatar, you can describe what Howard Stern is like from listening to his show maybe one or two times. Conor McGregor has a good avatar both physically that he worked on and stole from this male model, and also personality-wise, he's good at talking, right? He makes these verbal jabs. He famously, at a, at a press conference, embarrassed Jeremy Stevens, who 
little life tip from me to you. If Jeremy Stevens walks into a bar, you should immediately walk out. Call that the me and Troy rule. Trust. Listen to me now. Believe me later on. Especially in Orange County. Yeah. But Jeremy Stevens was like, I'm the biggest threat to, to Conor McGregor. And Conor McGregor, without even looking at him, went, who the fuck is that guy? And immediately ended Jeremy Stevens' whole life as a bankable fighter. Next, you need values. What are Conor McGregor's character's values? Money, fame, being the best fighter, being a badass. And usually how you figure this out is you understand what your audience's values are. You take them one step further, right? Money, fame, being a badass. Those are not like limited values. Those are to the ends of the earth. Conor McGregor is chasing money, fame, and being a badass. Yes. What are their goals? Very early on, Conor wanted to hold two titles at the, at the same time. He was the first UFC fighter to do that. And after he beats the mark, Eddie Alvarez, and knocks him down approximately 7,334 times in 10 minutes, <laughs> he then jumps on the cage with one belt, and he's screaming at Dana, get the other belt, because he recognizes the photo opportunity here is him on the cage with a belt on each shoulder, and he eventually gets that photo. But even in the moment of his greatest triumph of his professional career, Connor's thinking branding. I got to get the right image, the right. right photo. That's the spectacle right there. Yep. Vision. What is your vision as a brand? Inspiration. How do you inspire people? Connor inspired people first with his rags to riches story, then with his badassness. Badassness, as you saw with Jeffree Star, is inspirational to people. Really is. Everyone gets shit on by a lot of people, by your boss, by your spouse, by your family members, by people all over. We all take a lot of shit. And so to see someone who's not going to take any shit and does what they want, lives by their own rules, is aspirational and inspirational. We also saw this with Kalanick, with his cease and desist wastebasket. I mean, he had his fuck you money, and that's Mm -hmm. what Conor McGregor was really out for. Yes, absolutely. What is your impact? What impact did you make? Conor McGregor's impact? Selling pay-per-views. Four out of the top five big sellers. And the fifth big seller is Brock Lesnar, who was a wrestler and just this physical freak of nature who created a spectacle just through his massive size and athletic ability. Brock Lesnar is maybe the greatest example of spectacle in combat sports history because while he was a NCAA champion wrestler, he was also a WWE wrestler. And if you look, just Google Brock Lesnar. He's like six foot four. He's 350 pounds. He's got muscles bulging out of everywhere. He's got these awesome tattoos with like a knife to his throat. He's like a real badass dude. He's He's just the definition of spectacle. And so everyone wanted to see, can this WWE wrestler come over and make it with the real fighters? And turns out he did pretty well. What is the impact? What is his purpose? What is Conor McGregor's purpose as a fighter? For him, it's to be the greatest fighter of all time. He's already telling people that, so I don't know how focused he is on that. And it's also not even close to true. Never going to be John Jones, bro. No. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so those are kind of the elements of character. We'll go over them again at the end so you can work on them in some exercises. But Think about those as we go back to 2016. Conor wants to become champ champ, but the fight falls through. He's supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos. Rafael Dos Anjos breaks his foot and the fight is off. So on short notice, they call in Nathan Diaz. The Diaz brothers are kind of anti-hero cult favorites of the UFC scene. They smoke weed. They flip people the bird. Nick Diaz, the older brother, once fought Joe Riggs in the hospital after they fought in the UFC. The Diaz brothers are a vibe, and the Diaz brothers are quote-unquote real fighters, right? They are kind of the definition of guys who just show up and scrap. So Nate Diaz is in Cabo, taking shots at tequila, gets the call to fight Conor McGregor on two weeks' notice after he had called Conor McGregor out. 
One thing you may not know about combat sports, especially in the UFC, is they work kind of like wrestling, where after you win a fight, you get an interview, and in that interview, you can choose to cut a promo on other fighters or call them out, insult them, this, that, or the other. Nate Diaz, after beating Michael Johnson, cut a promo on Conor McGregor where he said, you're taking everything I worked for, I'm the real ninja here, like, I wanna fight your ass. So on two weeks notice, Nathan Diaz comes from Cabo, and in the beginning, Conor McGregor is lighting him up. He knocks him down two or three times in the first round. But towards the end of the first round, Nathan Diaz, who is tough as nails, Nathan Diaz has been finished twice in his career by strikes. Both of the times they were cuts. They were not him getting knocked out. You don't really knock out a Diaz brother. It's not really a thing that happens. So as Connor starts slowing down in the second round, all of a sudden Nate is boxing Connor up and Connor is looking tired as hell. And finally, Connor shoots what is later called a panic takedown, at which point Nate promptly mounts him, hits him a bunch of times, and then chokes him out. Which is really interesting considering Connor's whole product is about being in really good shape. But, you know, round two, he's a little on the ground. Also, the Diaz brothers run triathlons, so mm. you're not going to out-gas tank a Diaz brother either. Right. There's tough in the there were There were some tactical mistakes that were made in this fight, but now Connor McGregor, for the first time in six years and 15 fights, has lost a fight. And besides that, he got finished. And it's his third loss by submission. All three of his losses, all by submission. All by submission. Again... This can Connor grapple storyline is gonna be a thing, and now it's starting to gain traction. Connor becomes quote unquote obsessed with the rematch. He won't take any other fight. Him and Nate fight again. It's a five round fight. Connor barely edges a decision and then acts like he just beat Nate Diaz's ass real badly. It's really important to note that the rematch is something that he really hones in on his audience with, right? This idea of the Irish can never back down and will always keep fighting is something that's very nationalist, and he is honing in on that with this rematch, we're at war kind of attitude that he continues in the rest of his career. And in the beginning, Conor McGregor's character was one where he would talk a lot of shit beforehand and then be super respectful afterwards. So he actually takes that Nate loss pretty well. He will not take any other loss in his career nearly as well from this point on. He gives Nate a lot of props and then he wants to fight him again, but he doesn't make up a secondary reality where he somehow won this fight, which as we go further and further, he will begin to do. So again, Conor McGregor, Anthony McGregor is still kind of there, and this character that he's established where he's shit-talking and brash beforehand and then nice in victory or defeat is still working, but it's going to fall apart. Things are going to come off the rails pretty fast. He wins that fight. He gets the fight for the championship with the Mark, Eddie Alvarez, whose signature characteristic is that he gets knocked down a lot, even in fights he wins. Probably one of my least favorite fighters of all time. Eddie also talked a lot of shit leading up to this fight, talking about how he never felt like he'd been less physically threatened by a man in his life when they stared down, only to then get knocked down more times than I've ever seen anyone get knocked down. Okay, we've come to the part of the show where we want to take a quick break, a little coffee fix, and talk about some things that have just been going on in the world this week. Yep. So uh, I want to talk about something that probably a lot of you brand owners deal with a lot, and that is difficult clients who fail to understand what is important and what isn't important. For instance, I just got an emergency call about an image that was on a website from 2015. And I had to stop editing ads and creating content that will 
literally make money for this client in order to go spend that time that he's already paid for to remove a single image that quite literally nobody has seen in the last eight months, according to analytics, at least. So in terms of dealing with these kinds of clients, I would love your input on how you guys gently say no and what you do to sway people in the right direction. I tend to take a more direct route and say, this doesn't matter, I'm gonna get back to making you money, but they pay me, so. It's weird the things that get in different clients' craws too. They just get focused on these weird things sometimes. Like, this is a PR page, but also a blog. Like, make it look both, why? Why, yeah, why? Yeah. I feel like asking why and they never have an answer and then you still have to do it is a exercise kind of driving yourself insane. My coffee chat is about Miss Dr. Jessica N. Cabon, who is a professor at SUNY in New York, who wrote in a thread by Brittany Cooper about various email etiquette, which to begin with is kind of weird as a professor to be writing about email etiquette. How about I pay $32,000 to go to this school? You just answer my emails. Yeah, but this is also a thing that you'll see with a generational difference, True. right? Younger generations, we don't really care as much about that because it's a method of communication. Oh, but wait, we'll get there. Mm, so okay. Miss Pabon, Dr. Pabon, says, I used to do this thing where I would walk into class, throw student papers in the air and walk out, give them a moment to be like, WTF just happened. Then I'd come back and say, this is what it's like when you email me without a salutation, explanation, or subject line. As you would expect on the Twitter.com, she was then dragged pretty summarily. Twitter is the wild west of the internet anyway. Why would you put this on Twitter of all places? Yeah, we're not your friends. No. There's a reason that Twitter followers are called followers and not friends. No. We're not your friends. This ain't no. Facebook. We'll light your ass up. <laughs> yes. Then, as she's getting light up, she writes to her students, Morning, folks, which, again, the initial thread was about email etiquette, and she starts this email, folks. Folks. So as if the world is not a stressful enough place, 2021, I'm being dragged on Twitter for a comment I made on Brittany Cooper's thread about email etiquette. It's a mini story about a little performance I did while teaching in a performance feminism course. First, who is Brittany Cooper? If I'm a student and I don't follow on Twitter, who is this person you're name dropping to me? Because I don't even know who that is, lady. They're using a site called Rate My Professor as Evidence, a public site where I do not fare so well. Why don't you fare so well, Jessica? A lot of you wrote in your evaluations that you enjoyed my class and teaching style. If you did and you wouldn't mind, I'd really appreciate some help turning that rating around. It's all anonymous in gratitude, Dr. P. This Dr. P is kind of a scarlet letter here because if you go to ratemyprofessor.com, you'll see she often has really low ratings where the reviews are things like, she's the only professor that teaches the course and she's terrible at it. Readings all day, every day, very into social media, makes us follow her on Twitter. Or this Make one. Makes us makes follow us. her on Twitter. I'm spending 32K to go to this school and my professor is emailing me about a Twitter argument she got into. Absolutely ludicrous. But then she has some other standout emails and reviews here. Here in a five-star review, one of her only five-star reviews, she says, just had Dr. P for my WOM 220 course that I needed for a diversity credit. To be honest, I'd take that again just to have her as a professor again. This is where I do the office stare in the camera. Also, she signed off that email that she asked people to go help her on Raider Professor Dr. P, and every single five-star review calls her Dr. P. Which brings us to the point of this rant, which mm -hmm. is don't do fake reviews. Don't. You will always get caught. At the very least, best case scenario, you just get dragged on Twitter and we laugh at you. Worst case scenario, you get fired or it, Sued. it calls into question the whole credibility yeah. of your business. So just don't do it. Yeah. But also, 
don't throw people's papers in the air if you're a professor at a school that charges $32,000 a, a year and then walk out of the room. That's ridiculous behavior. And then, if you're going to do that, maybe don't tell on yourself on Twitter. But anyway, <laughs> so to bring it back and end my coffee chat, remember the number one rule of Twitter. There is one main character every day, okay. and your only goal is to never be the main character of Twitter. That'll wrap it up for this coffee break. We're going to jump right back into the Conor McGregor story now. Now, Connor is the champ champ, and this is where, if this were a VH1 behind the music, this is where the music would get ominous, and we would go, but things for Conor McGregor were about to take a difficult turn. Flash the negative. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... From here, the legal troubles begin. He starts to get into legal troubles first for driving too fast in Las Vegas, then for a variety of just kind of low-level petty things. And rather than defend his title, which Conor McGregor has never defended a title. He didn't defend a title in Cage Warriors. He didn't defend a title in the UFC. That's kind of one of the separations between real fighters and spectacle fighters. Spectacle fighters, Conor was even talking about jumping up to 170 for a minute, which would not have worked. So he's it just, not a big dude. It wouldn't have worked really well for him at all. But to really be a great, you've got to defend the title. George St. Pierre defended the title 10 times. Anderson Silva defended the title 11 times. Demetrius Johnson defended it 12. Jo John Jones, they're not straight because he's had various legal troubles, <laughs> but John Jones has won 15 title fights. Right. So Conor McGregor has won title fights, but he's never actually defended the title because he's always looking for the next thing. Mm -hmm. So now he's chasing this fight with Floyd Mayweather, and the issue, issue here is that he's under contract with the UFC. While boxers can make their own fights, and Floyd Mayweather even runs his own promotion company, Floyd Mayweather markedly seized back the power for fighters in a big way in boxing. Him and Oscar De La Hoya in the early 2000s, they really did a lot. Which we will have a Patreon episode about this yes. coming up soon. So... Floyd can make the fight, but Connor's under contract to the UFC, and these contracts are very draconian and restrictive. So in order to get this fight, he has to get permission from the UFC. And the UFC has famously never given permission for crossover fights, exhibitions, anything. You even have to get permission from the UFC to do a jiu-jitsu tournament, and those aren't even televised. But you have to get permission. But Connor has leverage. Because Connor brings in so much money, because Connor is branding and co-promoting with the UFC... Connor gets the go-ahead to chase this boxing fight. And Floyd and Connor will later say that social media really made this fight because they noticed every time they talked about the other one, their numbers would go up and their analytics people would be like, this is really interesting. People want to see you two fight. And because they're both money fighters, they're both brash, they're both arrogant, they both have different fighting styles, Connor being a one-punch knockout style fighter, whereas Floyd's a defensive fighter, there's also the additional race and Floyd being a terrible person element, right? The way Floyd Mayweather sold fights is by being so good at fighting and so obnoxious that you want him to lose, but he's never going to lose. So he was able to draw millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars by being this super difficult to beat fighter who also made people hate him and want to lose. So we talked ourselves into Juan Manuel Marquez or Manny Pacquiao or Ricky Hatton only for them to hit Floyd maybe one time, not even flush, while he just wins easy decisions and banks money. Connor, very similar. And people also wanted to see whether these two money fighters could have what eventually was called the money fight and the money belt. So this is important to note on two different pieces here. Floyd had a very interesting mentor teach him how to embody this character, and that's 50 Cent, which we'll talk about later. But... The other important bit is that both of these men are paying very close attention to their analytics. 
Notice they are also the two in their sports that are known for being the money makers. Mm -hmm. Knowing your numbers equals making more money. This is just going to be a lesson all across business. Know your numbers. That way you can make the most educated decisions on how to make $30 million in one night. In the lead up to this fight, Connor is doing a lot of the secret stuff as well. He even goes as far as to paint a picture of himself knocking Floyd out in his gym. And I gotta be honest, a lot of fight sports people fell for the okie doke. Initially, Floyd opened as a minus 2,500 favorite in Connor. Let me set the stage for Layman. Connor McGregor had never boxed professionally. He had a few low level amateur boxing fights. To set the stage, I've had 10 or 12 low level boxing fights. It doesn't really mean anything. You just show up and you're willing to do it, you can do it. MMA is very different from boxing. MMA, the gloves are four ounces. In boxing, the gloves are 16 ounces. In MMA, you can grab people, you can wrestle, you can use jujitsu, you can use holds, you can lean on them, you can use your size in much more effective ways. In boxing, you're only allowed to clinch for a little bit, then they'll break it up. There really was no way for Connor to win this fight. This was as close to a rigged fight as a fight could be. So what's important about these odds is that Connor McGregor was literally changing the odds of his fight just by, but yeah, by 10 times, just by the appropriate marketing lead up. He was building that anticipation in such a way that it literally 10x'd his odds, yeah. according to professionals. And just the, the spectacle like made people wonder what was gonna happen. It never made me wonder because I am a longtime combat sports fan and I knew that like there was no way, right? Again, I wondered, I wondered. It was a rigged fight. Mm -hmm. And to prove it was a rigged fight, I'll share another detail the general public probably doesn't know. <laughs> the day before the fight, I was living in Las Vegas at the time, Floyd Mayweather got caught trying to place a $250,000 bet and a $400,000 bet on himself to win the over nine and a half rounds, meaning that he would have gotten paid if the fight went over nine and a half rounds. Floyd ends up knocking out Connor in the beginning of the 10th round. So if that doesn't tell you that he carried Connor for nine rounds before deciding to put it on him and end the fight, I don't know what will. Hindsight manifesting mm -hmm. right there. I'm gonna coin that term because Connor uses this later in uh, another fight, his hindsight manifest, where he kind of changes the past to suit his... Yes, Connor, after this fight, does not do the graceful and defeat thing, mm -hmm. and instead says that he wasn't in good enough shape, mm -hmm. and that he didn't realize that Floyd Mayweather, greatest boxer of his generation, could fight coming forward. Literally the first thing they teach you in any combat sports. Hey man, hindsight manifesting. He used to be bad at fighting coming forward. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna manifest he was that never back bad into the at past. Fighting coming forward. <laughs> Go watch those early Pretty Boy Floyd flights, or. Go back to a couple years ago on New Year's Eve when Floyd travels to Japan to fight Tenshin, superstar combat sports young phenom, kickboxing boxing champion, 21 years old to Floyd's 40 plus, and maybe Tenshin looked at him the wrong way, or maybe Floyd was only getting paid $9 million, but Floyd takes that dude out in six and a half minutes. I don't know if he was charging by the minute, but Floyd just comes forward and destroys this kid who is a champion in multiple sports. And it's... There's no carrying of tension. So the Floyd Mayweather that showed up to fight Conor McGregor for hundreds of millions of dollars was a little more motivated to carry guys than the guy who made $9 million to destroy tension. It's also notable that Conor called out Floyd kind of a lot on social media. He really chased that fight after yes. getting the green light. 
And this is another one of those, yeah, this is another one of those like hindsight manifestations in a recorded interview with Tony Robbins of all people. He talks about how the fight happened naturally. It wasn't chased. It was just something that they both thought would be an interesting idea. You know, nobody really wanted it that hard, but we know Connor's character chases money and fame and badassery to the ends of the earth. And so. he literally had to give up 50% of the fight purse to the UFC to get that fight. So, yeah. like, you obviously wanted it bad enough to give up 50% of your money. Really wanted that fight. This is when the wheels really start to come off. Now he's got all this money, all the money in the world, all the free time in the world, because he's no longer the UFC 155-pound champion because he's been stripped for not being active enough. The UFC has to make fights, and they got to have gold belts to put on the posters. So... That doesn't wait for any man, even Conor McGregor. And now Conor starts to get arrested, but the arrests start to get a bit more serious. Let me just ask you, how many sexual assaults are too many sexual assaults to be accused of? I would say one. I think one is good. I think one. Like, yeah. you, you shouldn't really get accused of it more than once. Conor has two of those and a lewd conduct in the last three or four years. And that's kind of fast. A lot. Right? That's a lot real fast. Mm-hmm. Ooh, all right. But that's not the only legal trouble he's been in. No. He also, there's a video of him punching an old man in a bar. He offers the old man a shot of proper 12. The old man waves him off, and then he just lands a left hand to the man's face, which, gotta say, that old man has the chin of a championship right. boxer because he barely flinches. He doesn't even move and continues to drink at the bar. But Connor ends up pleading guilty and doing some community service for that. He ends up jumping into the Bellator cage, which is the competitor to the UFC, when one of his teammates is fighting. And in his celebration, he pushes and then slaps a referee. Ultimately, this culminates in the bus attack, where Connor is in a feud with Khabib, who is now the UFC champion. Yeah, okay. Who is Khabib? Khabib Nurmagomedov is a UFC champion, technically retired. He is undefeated. He retired at 29-0 and 0 a few months ago. He never really lost many rounds in the UFC. I think he lost two rounds total and basically completely dominated everyone. This is a man from Dagestan whose father was the coach of the national wrestling team who's been raised. He was wrestling bears when he was eight years old. You can Google it. There's videos. He basically came into the UFC and was an unstoppable force. He went undefeated in the UFC, ended up 29-0. He might come back because combat sports retirements are rarely final. But Khabib is definitely one of the greatest of all time and in the discussion for that title, much more than Conor McGregor is on the pure fight basis. But Khabib is also a very pious, religious man from Dagestan, and he doesn't do a ton of promotion. He actually does some pretty funny shit talking. He does. But it's almost always reactive or when he's asked by the press. He doesn't go out of his way to do it. It's not part of his character. Not a huge spectacle. No. No, Khabib is the fight part of the sport. Yes. Khabib is the sport part, and Connor is the spectacle in this matchup. So Khabib slaps one of Connor's teammates, Artem Lobov, in New Jersey before his fight with Ally Akinta, which is actually for the vacant UFC title. This is the fight where Khabib is going to win the title. He doesn't have it yet. Connor flies over from Ireland and is supposed to come in and have a little stage confrontation with Khabib, but he's late. So instead, he enters the Barclays Center with the help of employees, and Khabib and the other fighters are already on the bus. Connor flies off the handle and starts attacking the bus with anything he can grab, ultimately throwing a handcart, one of those dollies that you use to move, through the bus of the window, injuring multiple UFC fighters. Michael Chiesa gets glass in his eyes and has to have his fight canceled. 
Rose Namajunas says she has PTSD from the incident. Multiple UFC employees are injured. Multiple people go to the hospital. Conor McGregor eventually is arrested for this. Dana White afterwards calls it the most disgusting thing he's ever seen in his life, only to then use it in promotional packages right. for the Khabib versus Conor fight mm -hmm. the very next year. Very different uh, character Dana White is than another yes. person we'll cover in the future. So they make the Conor fight and Khabib, and Conor spends six to 12 weeks insulting Khabib's wife, his religion, offering him alcohol. Again, Khabib is a pious Muslim man who does not drink calling him a rat, calling him a terrorist, making all sorts of like really terrible accusations in the form of trash talk about Khabib, his family, his religion, his manager, and a fighting. And in no surprise, Khabib stomps a mud hole in Connor. Connor will go more revisionist history on this fight than any fight he ever had before, but there is no mistake. You can find the video. Connor likes to talk about this fight like the video is not available for free on the internet. You can see the fight. Yes. Connor gets his ass kicked for the entire part of the fight. In fact, in the second or third round, Khabib is on top of Connor, punching him and asking him and saying, You wanted to talk. Let's talk now. And then between rounds, as Connor gets up and is kind of shaking himself out and walking to the corner, he turns to Khabib and goes, It's just business, man. Because the character has been broken in the sport. <laughs> yes. The character got you into this fight. Right. But now you ran into a real one, and now he doesn't want to talk anymore. And Khabib has a much better origin story of fighting bears than Connor ever will. Connor is not a bear. So Khabib ends up submitting Connor in the fourth round with a neck crank. Now, for those of you that don't know grappling, this is not really a submission hole. A rear naked choke, you can pass out if someone holds on to that. A arm bar, your arm can be broken. You know, various types of other wind chokes or blood chokes, you go out. This was a neck crank. It hurts. But anyone who's not a white belt doesn't really submit to this. So Connor even submitting to this is proof of how bad his ass was getting kicked, right? He wanted a way out. In fighting, we talk about looking for a door. You offer people a way out, and oftentimes they take it, and Connor was offered a way out in this neck crank, and he jumped through that door like it was on fire. Then, because Khabib is awesome, he does the coolest thing ever, which is he throws his mouthpiece, and then jumps over the cage to immediately start another fight with the most annoying person in MMA, Dylan Danis. Conor McGregor's nowhere near as talented, but equally mouthy and pathetic, like, posturing teammate. And Khabib jumps on him. Then they ask Khabib why he jumped on Danis as opposed to Conor's corner. And Khabib gives my favorite Khabib quote of all time, which is, Kavanaugh is old man. You cannot jump on old man. It's disrespect. Dylan Danis is young. You can jump on him. It's all right. <laughs> now, I had to go back and watch this again, because after listening to the interview that I listened to with Tony Robbins, again, with this hindsight manifestation, McGregor tells this in, like, it's the ridiculous. wildest way. It's, it, it, it makes even, me so mad. There's nothing that lines up with None reality that Conor McGregor talks about. And he's told four or five different stories. First, it was that his foot was broken and then it looked like a balloon. Go watch so the video. His foot's balloon. fine. His foot is fine. <laughs> he's moving around perfectly. Look at his yeah. foot. It's not broken. Not broken. Hmm. Then it's that he was winning every minute of the fight. Again, this is a publicly available fight. This isn't even locked behind the UFC paywall. It's on YouTube. He was not winning any minute of that fight. He wins one round of the fight because Khabib often takes the third round off and Khabib is literally doing nothing and it's still a real close round. I probably would have scored it for Khabib. And then, most importantly, he taps out to a pain submission. Not a submission that he's gonna go out from, a pain submission. Oh, it hurts too bad, let me get out of here. It hurts. 
He goes full revisionist history on this, and to this day, he's still scrambling for the rematch and claiming he won this fight. He did not win this fight. After the fight, he ends up retiring. Connor's actually retired on social media four times, including recently when he had his last lewd conduct accusation a few months ago. Connor doesn't fight for the next couple years. He kind of just hangs out. He does the proper 12 whiskey, which is advertised all the time. Which has made $1 million in its first year of existence and is is currently trending to beat Jameson with, in the first couple of years. That you can see it at. beating Jameson. Go to most bars. Most bars now have proper 12 instead of Jameson. It's it's everywhere. It's And it's, it's terrible. It tastes like Band-Aids. It's really not good. I don't like whiskey to begin with, but it's really not good whiskey. But he has really done his part in A, putting whiskey into the fight scene, which used yes. to be run by tequila. Booze, yep, and, yep, beers. Yeah, beer. Mickey's. Now it's yeah. whiskey. Yep. And also in terms of getting it in front of the right audience, yes. right? This is a true Irish whiskey. It's not this traditional Jameson. It's a true Irish whiskey. And because of that, there's been a lot of resurgence. Jameson has had to change their brand imagery to try to keep up with it. No, he's kicking Jameson's ass. I mean, it's, it's doing really well. Also, anytime you watch any fights for it, there's commercials for it. Like, he's everywhere advertising it. And the avatar fits. He's in a nice suit or, like, a nice white shirt looking rich. It's all there. And it's working off of the proven model image of the Dos Equis guy. Yeah. And that's all. Yep. So Connor comes back in January of 2020 after a like, year and a half hiatus. And he says, it's time for my season. I'm back. I'm serious. I'm going to fight three times this year. And I'm going to get the belt back. He ends up fighting one time where he fights a very washed up Donald the Cowboy Cerrone, mm -hmm. ends up knocking him out in 40 or so seconds, and then not fighting the rest of the year. But in this year, Khabib has retired, the rest of the division has moved around a lot, and Connor, because he got that one win, reinserted himself in the conversation where we now reach his do you want to be a fighter moment. Connor McGregor is at a crossroads this weekend when he fights Dustin Poirier in Abu Dhabi. If Conor McGregor wants to be a fighter, he has to win this fight. He already beat Poirier once on his rise, but that was a long time ago. It was seven years ago. It was in the weight class below. Dustin Poirier is a much different fighter. Conor McGregor is a much different fighter. One of them has been partying and is a lot worse for wear, and the other guy's been fighting and winning five-round wars for the last few years with no breaks. Right. So if Conor wants to continue to be a viable fighter, again, Fight business versus the fight sport. He will right. always be able to draw money. At some point, I'm sure he'll box Manny Pacquiao. At some point, I'm sure he'll box one of the Paul brothers who we'll talk about coming up. Absolutely, yes. But if he wants to be serious about pursuing that greatest of all time GOAT conversation, he has to win this fight. There's no road forward for him if he loses this fight to be the GOAT. He's not going to get another title shot. He's going to end up fighting better dudes on lower profile cards for less stakes or he's going to end up doing fun fights like ending the Nate Diaz trilogy where he'll make money, but he's not going to gain any ground on John Jones, Anderson Silva, GSP, Khabib, and Jose Aldo in that GOAT conversation unless he wins this fight, recaptures the belt, and actually defends it. There's no way for Connor to be one of the GOATs with no title defenses. If he wants to be a fighter, he's going to have to win this fight. I personally don't think he's going to win. And here's where that becomes important. And that is, what are the values of his audience? His audience started following him because he was the image that they wanted to be. And he was a quality fighter. He went six years without losing a fight. And that quality is what held them and entrenched them while they were pulled in along this spectacle and really grew with him. Also, 
if you just found out about Conor McGregor when he beat Eddie Alvarez in 2015, you've only seen him win one fight. Mm-hmm. You saw him win that Eddie Alvarez fight, and he lost to Floyd, lost to Khabib. Oh, I guess he, he beat Cerrone recently. So you've seen him win two fights. At a certain point, no matter how great your character is, no matter how big the spectacle you command is, you got to win the fights. You can't be a viable fight star if you keep losing, because eventually people are going to be like, what's the big deal about this Conor McGregor guy? Does he ever even win? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened with me when we were watching maybe a year ago, the first fights you had me watch. I was like, who's this guy in the suit? And you're like, oh, that's Conor McGregor. And I was like, he doesn't fight anybody. Like, he's never fought. So why is he important? So people who have only been along the sport for a couple of years, which is going to be a lot of that Gen Z audience that's really coming up into this audience, they probably have never seen him fight in any meaningful way except for legacy fights that Mm -hmm. were a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real thing. And like William Goldman, the author of The Princess Bride, wrote a book about sports that I'm forgetting the name of, but he said the athlete's greatest enemy is time. And right now, time is not on Conor McGregor's side. He's on the wrong side of 30. His best fights were five plus years ago. He wants to make a real legacy in the sport, but time is now and he doesn't have time to waste. So if you're interested in Conor McGregor and you feel like giving the UFC $70 because they raised the price of this pay-per-view because Conor McGregor's on No, but you have to give him $5 to give him the $70. Right, and you have to have an ESPN Plus account, Mm -hmm. which is $5 a month to even buy the pay-per-view. Very fun customer experience, I must say. (laughs) The double paywall. Don't ever do that. Yeah, it's great. Then... You might want to check out this Conor McGregor fight, or at least check out the highlights afterwards. So another important thing about this Conor McGregor fight is that we know that his character is built around chasing money and chasing fame. And those are really more important than this badassery part. Mm -hmm. So at what point does it matter for him to keep fighting versus him pivoting away to all of the other ventures that make him so much more? It always matters. Much like when people leave ESPN, if you're a fighter and you leave the fight sport, you always end up getting sucked back in. It's why the retirements never take. It's why Floyd is out here taking $9 million to go box tension for six and a half minutes, right? Because they spend money at the same level. Conor McGregor will 100% go broke. Floyd Mayweather has come close to going broke and he's made over a billion dollars in purses. He will stay fighting and keep getting sucked into progressively lower and lower and less relevant fights, no matter what, because that's just how the fight sport career go. It'll happen to everyone. Your heroes in the fight sports will eventually be fed to young up and coming fighters, wash out of the big leagues and be fighting in these second tier promotions or God forbid bare knuckle boxing, because that's back now. And that's gonna happen to Connor. Connor will keep getting sucked into these, but he has this last little sprint in him where he's still technically in his prime. He's still got the relevance. He's still a big enough name where he's got this last little runway where if he can win a couple fights, he can reinsert himself into that conversation. And then once you're one of the GOATs, then it's a whole different ballgame because then you can hold on to a title or do this, that, or the other. But until he gets and holds that title, it's not going to do anything for his legacy. And that's really important to remember because fighting sports are much different than any other industry. Mm -hmm. In most industries, once you make it, you have this too-big-to-fail proposition that does not exist in fighting sports. So this idea, like Jeffree Star, who is too big to fail, has been canceled a million times, has done all kinds of crazy things, including now, as we accurately called, posting videos with guns in Wyoming. Really interesting avatar change there. Jeffree Star, too big to fail. Conor McGregor, while he has made 
billions of dollars with his companies and you know all of his fights is not too big to fail and never will be in the sport. So he has to maintain that activity level. And all the fighters that he kind of modeled himself on didn't really lose. You look at Muhammad Ali, he didn't really lose until he was really in the twilight of his career. And that includes the inactivity for being in jail. You look at Floyd, the only reason the Floyd model worked is because Floyd never lost. If Floyd lost one fight, he would not have been able to draw money ever again because people would have seen him get his ass kicked the one time. But because he's a defensive maestro, he just kept infuriating people and making boring fights. The great part of Floyd is Floyd's a troll because so Floyd, Floyd tricks you into spending money on his fights to see him get beat up, doesn't get beat up, and then makes it a real boring fight where he's real obviously winning. So you don't even get the enjoyment of a fun fight. Floyd's like, no, I'm going to take your money. You're not going to enjoy it. And you're also not going to get the nice, like, prize of seeing me lose. Talk about being cussed or something. It's great. Jeez. Love it. Love it so much. But yeah, Connor is at a real crossroads because you have to win. You have to win to stay relevant and you have to win, especially if you keep saying you're the best. You yes. can't keep saying you're the best and lose fights. And that's ultimately what, what sunk previous MMA trash talker Chael Sonnen, who was a very middle of the pack fighter who talked his way into fights with Anderson Silva. But eventually he kept saying he was the greatest fighter in the world. And like when you're the greatest fighter in the world, they don't call you the best. They call you Chael Sonnen. That doesn't work when you're on a five fight losing streak. There's, there, you just can't really convince people that you're the best fighter in the world when you're losing all these fights. And this is important in your business too, because if you're claiming you have the best product and you don't actually have the best product, you will fail. This idea that you can freely claim it's the best, yeah. it's the greatest, you know, nothing's better is false. Your quality absolutely matters, especially if you're using these high claims and you better yeah. have testimonials or analytics or something to back up your claim that you are the best somehow. That was the rise of Connor. He talked a lot of shit and he backed it up. If he doesn't back it up, it doesn't work. Exactly. If he doesn't talk a lot of shit, he doesn't get the eyeballs necessary to fuel the rise. So it all kind of works together. Which brings us to our takeaways. Yes. So every episode we talk about the things that you can learn from these stories and apply to your businesses. And those are the takeaways. We'll also give you some exercises to improve your business. My first takeaway is to have a clear character for your brand, whether it's you or the brand yourself. And your exercise is to create an origin story first, which we told you to do a little earlier, and then also to map out your character based on those characteristics that I gave you earlier that I'll share with you again. So the characteristics for your character are, number one, your avatar, both your looks and your personality. Are you funny? Are you cocky? Are you humble? Are you educational? Are you older and wiser? Know that stuff. Values. What are the values of your brand character? What are your brand character's goals? What's your brand character's vision? What is the method of inspiration you're aiming for your brand to have on your audience? How do you want your brand's character to make an impact on your audience? And lastly, what is your brand's character's purpose? What is the character exist for and to do? Yes. So to build on that, my first takeaway is really a deep dive in one of these things. And that is know your vision. Something Connor has done really well is have a vision, know what he wants and really chase it. So I want you to do the same thing in your character creation. When you're talking about vision, make a vision board for your brand. That means take a poster board and literally glue things onto a poster board that show in a visual way what your vision and your goals are for this brand. This can be images, this can be single words, this can be sentences, whatever makes the most sense to you, 
create a vision board specifically for your brand while you're creating character for your brand. So much of success is just having a plan. My second takeaway is connect with fans on a wide, easy basis like Connor did with his country. Make it something that's easy for them to feel and understand in their bones. Don't connect with people on esoteric, weird, high-minded things. Get really guttural. Things like your country, your people, your family, your like passions, but get really at a deep level where people can instantly go, oh, okay, I like this guy because he's Irish like me. Yeah, and that ties perfectly into don't be clever. Yes. You don't want people to have to think about what your brand means, what it is, or why it makes sense. Lose the clever, lose all of the complications, keep it very simple, and just go to that base level. People are too stupid for subtle. That's one of my favorite phrases <laughs> that I say time. all the time, but it's true. People <laughs> yes. don't get it. And people keep thinking that they're going to get like, oh, in my logo, this like bottom quarter means like the rise of the sun, which is a powerful symbol that empowers people. And meanwhile, they're just looking at the thing in the middle like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's a play on words. Yeah. Okay. Puns. Yeah. Yeah. That's if you're not, not for your brand. If you're not in the pornography business or the pet shop business or the hair salon industry, no puns. Those are the really? only acceptable puns. Yeah. That's it. Cool. My third takeaway is recognize and use leverage when you have it. I think this is one of the things that Connor did really, really well. The UFC is draconian in how it treats its independent contractors, mm -hmm. not employees. Much yet, like Uber. Yes. Yet somehow... You can't fight in somewhere else, right? If I'm an independent contractor, shouldn't I be allowed to fight in other promotions because I'm not a contracted employee? No, that doesn't work. But Connor recognized early on that the more value you have, the more leverage you have. And this is something that a lot of people don't like because it flies in the face of meritocracy. But guess what? The world is not a meritocracy. Some people get treated better than other people and recognizing when you have the juice and the ability to get treated better and using that is a major part of success. So when you have leverage, don't be afraid to use it and be aware of when you have leverage in business situations, like Connor did when he had the chance to make $30 million in a night by boxing Floyd, even though his contract specifically prohibited it, but he had enough leverage to push and try, and eventually he made it and that was his big payday. Now this is really important for influencers because the way that you get leverage is your analytics. You can show your engagement numbers and your number of followers especially ones that overlap with the brand that you're trying to work with. That is your leverage to show how you're going to make that brand money. And money always talks. So my final takeaway is to focus on the successes and learn from your failures. There's a lot of the time that Connor's revising history yes. in that he's totally covering up any failure that he's ever had. But at the same time, he's always learning from those failures and he's always growing and optimizing. He's optimized his character over years and years of trying different other proven models. He's done a lot of ignoring the bad that's happened and continually pushing this good, right? When people bring up the Khabib fight, he tells his story again, and then he rolls right into a proper 12 yep. or, you know, his fashion or his how he's manifesting, right? He never stays on that topic that can bring up the failure. It's always moving past in a brand vision. He's learned from the failures, but he's focused on the success. Yeah, his charlatan coach even wrote a book called Win or Learn. So there's a whole philosophy behind that. <laughs> now, what is it that you call the... Uh, I, so I, I wrote a series of Twitter threads, which you can find on my Twitter account, at John Lee Writes, which <laughs> is called No Excuses, I Would Have Won If I Didn't Lose, which is just a collection of 
various excuses fighters have made after they lost fights because no one ever really loses a fight. It's always, he was the better man on this day, or I was winning until I got caught, or I injured myself before the fight. No fighter, very, it's very, very rare that fighters just take the L. So I have compiled a long list of that, as well as a request that someone pay me the reasonable fee to write that into a book for $2 million. So if you have $2 million and want me to write no excuses, I would have won if I didn't lose. I'm on it. <laughs> Leverage right there. Mm -hmm. So that's going to wrap it up for our Conor McGregor show. You have the story, you've got the takeaways, you've got the exercises. The last thing I want to do is tell you to go find a partner and do these exercises with them. Because it's always better to have an accountability partner who knows what you're doing and can support you through the process than it is to try to do it alone. Fighters always yes. have a corner. You gotta find your corner in your business. Yeah, that's gonna wrap it up for the fifth episode of the Brand Quest Podcast. I'm John Lee. And I'm Allison Fortune, and I'm gonna give a call out. I think the next fight should be Conor McGregor versus David Miscavige, who is currently the chairman of Scientology, which we'll be talking about next week. And you'll learn why I wanna call him out for this fight in that episode it has a little to do with that. Uh, if anyone you? deserves the <laughs> left hand of Conor McGregor, David Miscavige. Not that old man. No. It's David Miscavige. Miscavige. So definitely don't miss that, and we'll talk to you very soon.